0: hey everyone welcome back to the show today we are recording in beautiful Toronto which is one of my favorite cities in Canada and I'm really excited about today's episode today we're talking about leading emerging markets and there is nothing cooler to me than the idea of being on the front line of a new idea I want to talk about this because leading in that space is really a unique practice you got to be a visionary and you've got to be able to actually do the work. So we've got two really, really cool guests. The first is Eric Catoni. He's the SVP of operations for M. Hardine, where he's responsible for multiple cultivation facilities across Canada and the United States. He's got 10 years of experience building and leading operational teams from five to over a thousand people. And he's worked in the automotive technology and service industries, as well as over five years of P&L management experience. So Eric's got a lot of corporate experience, and now he's one of those leaders at the front line of the marijuana industry that's really exploding. Our other guest is Chris Callahan. He grew up playing in a ton of bands that I absolutely loved, um, bands like The Swarm, Left For Dead, Cursed, Sect. He's actually a really well-known singer, writer, and also business person with his company Vegan Magic. Vegan Magic is one of the really original vegan companies that created products that were for people who had adopted this diet. And he's got a great story. And what we're looking for here is hearing about someone who started a business from nothing. And as he built it up, a whole industry boomed around him. So we're going to get his story as well. And I want to give a special dedication for this uh, show. Recently, we had uh, a loss in the punk community. And uh, if you know me at all, you know, I've grew up in the punk scene, uh, played in a bunch of bands. And one of those bands that really inspired me was a band called Brotherhood. And the singer's name was Ron Gardapi. Ron was always an emerging leader. He was always on to something. He was always creating something, doing some neat project and always leading the way. And he's one of those guys that... As people have come together after his passing, there's just constant stories of things he's created and how he's inspired people. So, for me, uh, this guy was an initiator, and so much of what I've done in my life came or was inspired from what he did years and years ago and what he continued to do through his entire life. So, I want to dedicate this to Ron. Uh, Rest easy, and thanks for all you gave. So, I'm your host for today. My name is Aram Arslanian, and welcome to One Step. Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome back today we have two guests that I'm really excited to have uh, on the show today. And before we get into it, I want to tell you about these two markets specifically. So we're talking about um, people who are leading through emerging markets and why we picked these two. So for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm a vegan, so I don't eat any kind of animal products or uh, engage with any of that stuff. And so Chris's company that he runs is part of that world. And it's a world that when I first started learning about veganism and also when Chris started the company was really small and now it's exploded into a huge industry, which is cool, but there's a whole story there. I'm really passionate about the world that Chris walks in and I think his product is mind-blowing. It's super cool. So I want to hear about that. And that's part of why I was interested because he was an early adopter of something that was just not there before. So it's a cool story second with eric's uh organization he's a part of um for all those of you who don't know i'm i'm stone cold sober so uh, i refer to myself as straight edge and i don't uh, drink or do any kind of drug i haven't for well over 20 years and when we're looking at the emerging marijuana industry that's like booming one of the things that stood out for me is when i was younger i was a therapist for 10 years and i was a uh, addictions therapist and it always struck me as totally wrong that pot was illegal. Well, we have alcohol and smoking being totally legal. And I think about all of the lives that have been impacted through being arrested for pot and, you know, going to jail and how it's impacted communities and all of these things. When you really break it down, you're talking about a substance that actually is far less harmful for you than alcohol or cigarettes. So. I'm a real champion of it becoming legal, although I don't partake. And so as the industry's increased and grown, I really wanted to get a leader who's going to come in and talk about it. What's it like to lead in that space? So today is going to be cool. Um, it's going to be fun, and we're just going to really get into the topic. So buckle up. All right, so Eric, I'd love to hear about what you do, how you got into it, and really where you are today from where you started.
1: Sounds good. So I was working in a security and cleaning uh, company. I was actually running the division. It was about 1200 people. Mm -hmm. And an old mentor of mine came to me and told me about this uh, cannabis company. Mm And at first, it felt like the people that my um, my parents didn't want me to hang out with in high school <laughs> that I was going to work with, because I've never really um, touched cannabis before. Yeah. But then as I started to learn more, uh, I started to see all the medical applications. I started to learn a little bit more about even what Aram was saying, how there's a lot of stigmas around it that are really all BS. Uh-huh. Um, and as you start to learn more, it got more and more interesting. So I decided to jump on board and mm-hmm. now I run the operations for this cannabis uh, company. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for the operation of multiple facilities across the United States and Canada. Okay. So, so we grow, we grow cannabis and um, we package it and we distribute.
0: Okay. So real specific, I want to hit a couple of things here. You're calling it cannabis. So is that like an industry term? Like that's what you're calling it or are you using it just for this conversation?
1: Um Yeah, I think, I think it's just a term that I'm comfortable with and okay. it's a comf- it's a industry term, but mm-hmm. typically like you grow cannabis and then off of that you'll either create derivatives or, you'll package the, the dry flour into um, different uh, pre-rolls or different size containers
0: for consumption. Okay, cool. So we're going to come back to that. That's a, a great start. So now we're going to switch over to Chris. Chris, I would love to hear about your company, how you started it, and where you are today versus where you were from the beginning.
2: Okay. Um, it's quite a harrowing tale. Uh, I was, as you were, a pre 21st century vegan um which was a very different world back then and was a lot more uh, i guess political um and really hard to separate from that um you know very opinion driven and very connected with other ends of politics and just general you know what's good for people what's good for the earth what's good for animals you know um so i come from that as a background in my head and i never got out of that uh somewhere in between uh, about six years ago something that i had made from tour from touring in the south and the carolinas a lot uh and having friends down there uh, make me some really good collards that Mm -hmm. were like the southern kind of greasy but vegan which would usually have lard in them Mm -hmm. and one time for sure in california when i got a bunch of peppers and uh onions at a taco stand and they were like a little too good i figured out why (laughs) Uh, but i came home and i had something that i just made just a macgyvery thing that we made at home like there weren't many things back then you'd be lucky to find hummus in half a grocery store like really back then i was 94 i went vegan um so really i don't know there's a lot of things where you just have to make it up yourself and just for for myself it was something i made to weird as it sounds like fake lard Mm -hmm. you know yeah can't make it sound any different than that but it turned out to be something that nobody made and a lot of different people on culturally and different things use uh which is essentially it's now it's coconut oil i mean it took a, a bunch of iterations and and it it's really hard on the fly to change things up mm. especially when you get a lot of paperwork kind of mixed up in mm. it but as an experimental kind of thing it basically made smoky oil with just the right amounts of like fat and salt um so at first it was different kinds of ghee the the canola ghee and different like shortenings it was pretty gross there was sugar, a lot of stuff. Um, so because it wasn't intended to ever be a product or a thing, it was, I, it was winter time and I was just stir crazy to do something in between tour. Mm-hmm. And I made a batch of this stuff and called it magic vegan bacon grease and took it to my friend's, uh, bakery to TBC, which mm-hmm. RIP just closed down. Um, and I had no social media. I still, I mean, I had Facebook just for that. Mm-hmm. um, I didn't until then, and and she put it online, and I just came back like a week later curious as to like, how to grow with the stuff. No intention of doing anything like this, and she's, uh, my friend Amanda just said, sit down. You gotta quit your job. <laughs> people have been writing me, they think this is real, I and mean, it's real, but they think it's more formal. Um, get a patent, quit your job, make this. A lot of people want it, and I am, Really oblivious, and choose to kind of stay half oblivious to things like that. But I did just that. I was working in a video store uh, in Mervish Village for a long time, which was not too long for this world. And since mm. isn't there, nor is any of Mervish Village, uh, so I I did that, and um, it branched out into a few different products. But that was really the one that went very far and wide because the notion of it seemed really like insulting to people and. Then- <laughs> dads of the world you know uh, and that was then and even six years ago to now is quite a different story but yeah. the way that the market came up around it uh, is a different part of the story I guess but it's been pretty contentious as well when you come from a background that's kind of unrelentingly looking at it idealistically and politically mm-hmm. the kind of money that's wrapped up in it is really hard to separate because mm-hmm. uh, as you know with like what we come from it's not just a matter of like ingredients in a product it's like mm-hmm. a whole chain of events there's a whole industry behind it. It's what money goes into what other money. Mm-hmm. And so that's really hard to control, just mm-hmm. like you probably have to deal with with well, Julian Fantino and Bill Blair making money off
1: weed. So I had one question for you, um, and it's mainly around defining a product in the market because you'll hear, like I've heard, like almond milk or different types of butter that, to me, not being vegan and not knowing a whole lot about it, actually, like I've always known... Milk to come from an animal. Mm -hmm. So then when you take almond milk, that doesn't, I guess, how does that whole get, how does that get defined?
0: And I asked just because I don't know, not because I've got like an issue with it or anything. And and, and this uh, is a super important part of why we're having this conversation. Like, how do you even get into an emerging market, define yourself, create your space, like deal with these misconceptions, deal with like health regulations that are based for like a dairy industry or a meat industry. So, yeah.
1: I was watching, like, just to go back, I was watching a special mm -hmm. and it seemed like what they do is that they blend up the almond with water and then filter it through uh, a filter Mm -hmm. and, um, you get your liquid, which to me would say more almond water (laughs) than almond milk. But (laughs) that's why I'm interested is like, is it a marketing thing? Is it like, how do you?
2: No, that's a really good question because that's a lot of the trouble people had with the regulatory bodies as it came up i, I think we just named those things by what we were replacing about them and the way we use mm-hmm. them i mean it's in this coffee right here it's mm-hmm. the technology of it is definitely caught up with even um like synthetic meats or the they'll, they'll trick they'll trick the staunchest uncle mm-hmm. at christmas dinner um no they're really I, I don't know that's that's really a problem because the people that have the money in bigger companies are often really attached to the regulation process mm-hmm. and it's exactly the kind of thing that can really mess with smaller ones and independent ones more.
0: well tell us more about that i want to know about like how it can do
2: that okay well i make something that's basically bacon fat mm-hmm. right but in reality is smoky coconut oil mm-hmm. which you can use the same way like the fats are really similar um it's just just you could use it interchangeably right so if you grew up and you were in the south there's a lot of, um, like black Southern cooking. There's a lot of like South American cooking, Eastern European, like a lot of different people end up, you know, have, uh, grandparents that have like a can of lard sitting on the stove. Italians do it. So I don't know. I, I just sort of went for it and, um uh, it wasn't intended to be as proper as it was. So along the way, I definitely had to deal with, um, I had a really short crash course in a lot of things I had to deal with like patent law. I had to figure out like actual physical production and step that up and up. Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, like every single thing about a business, Mm -hmm. it just sort of happened over overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think because of coming from like a punk perspective too, I just treated it like that. Like you're kind of running for the border, Mm -hmm. whatever, get it through, figure it out, do the paperwork, do what you can get away with. Mm -hmm. That's a very different story. Six years later, Mm -hmm. even than it was then. So
0: I want to, cause I want to drill down on this cause it's real important about leading Mm -hmm. through an emerging market. And like, You know, when I thought about this, um, when Tammy and I were kicking around some topics uh, about this, we just live in a cool time. Mm -hmm. And so if you come from the punk perspective or if you come from someone who is any kind of DIY perspective, like just creating things out of nothing. I grew up as a teenager just thinking, oh, if I want something to happen, I'm just going to make it happen. I want to put out a record. I'm going to go figure out how to put out a record. So it's not weird thinking for me. Right. But if we step outside, if we look at the way the world is and where things are today, there are so many things that have just blown up. These markets that have blown up that literally just came from something like Chris, like just doing something or for people in the pod industry being like, no, 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 like the laws are nuts. Like we're going to, this is like a useful product. We need to push for it. And it's developed really interesting, compelling industries. I wanted, or Tammy and I wanted to do this show specifically about like, well, what else, man? Where else can we push this? Like, what else can we do that actually is needed by people? we know lots of things that are being created and pushed into the world aren't needed by people. And that's not a judgment call. It's just a thing, whatever. There's not a right or wrong, but these two industries actually matter. Like they really, really matter. So I really want to encourage the thinking of like, how can we do this more? How can people demystify the process of doing this? And it's not that I want it to become super easy because there's something about like the suffering through it that, that helps, you know, get it there. Yeah. But like, Would you mind if we drill down a little bit more on yours? Okay, I'd love
2: to speak even more to what you're saying about it being easy or hard Mm because that has a lot to do with how much people internalize it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about how did you deal with uh, regulators? Because when you started your product, there was like this was not a thing. No. But there was a market. It was an untapped market, an unrecognized market. Right. And so you could sell it through someone's website like crazy for sure. Yeah. But at some point you had to take a leap. Tell us about that leap and dealing with the regulatory stuff around it.
2: It was wild. I had to, uh, a large amount of the business I was doing was in the States, Mm -hmm. um, even though I'm up here. So there's a whole border and uh, FDA in between here and there and Homeland Security and everything about crossing commercially that we just had to, well, really, I couldn't probably do it all again. Because I just didn't look down mm-hmm. for a long time until a lot of things were just done. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like it wasn't a joke, but it was like, all right, fine, what's this? All right, tax code, look it up. Here's a tax code for that. I just, people were, it, it was in between the lines. So that goes the same for people, you know, at the agencies. Like mm-hmm. half of them don't know the answer to the question either. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just kind of, I think you have to kind of pick the closest thing that seems like it would work or should work mm-hmm. and go with it and let, just assume someone will stop you if it's wrong or if they authoritatively really can tell you why it's wrong.
0: Okay. So that that's interesting to so me too. When you were doing this, there wasn't even like a legal infrastructure around it. It was like, oh, like, no, we just, no one's ever done this before. Right. So even when you were going to people who would be considered experts, they would be like, oh, we don't know. We have to yeah. figure it out.
2: Yeah. I was getting taken apart at the border by a guy who'd be like, it says says bacon, but it says vegan. And I'm like, here's what it is. Here's the ingredients. This is what's in it. This is what it's not. This is how you use it. I don't know. And they just usually got confused and wave you through, and then they don't know what to (laughs) Confuse them. Confuse them.
1: Did you suffer any losses? Because you may have gotten advice in one direction, and then you have like someone else from the government looking at it, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't care what that last person told you. This doesn't fly.
2: No. Okay. Here's where the punk rocker comes out. Here's where the angry guy comes out, the the resourceful one that just wants to figure out how to get a record done or whatever done. Um, I just... I'm hyper aware of how angry it makes me that there's so many people, especially the Canadian side, for how inefficient it is and how much smaller of a market it is. How much regulatory shit we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that'll just slow you down to a crawl. Just different acronyms you have to pay off, mm-hmm. and you kind of give in to them. And there's ten more behind them. Mm-hmm. So I have a bit of a passive aggressive relationship with all that. And I'm really I know the stuff that I did legally because it was like exactly what I had to, and nothing more. Mm-hmm. Like there's a patent. There's a UPC code. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things and there's ways around them. I got my barcodes from like a reseller in the states that gets ones that were never used, mm-hmm. and they're like seven ninety five for like twenty of them right And they hate it here because they'll they'll you have to belong to a business. I mean, you know you have to get it's g s one. You have to deal with g s one for anything. They have bottle or I'm, a barcode?
1: I'm sure the accountants do. Oh, sorry <laughs> accountants.
2: Um, it's real. I understand it. But also like this, I I know this has been in major databases. There's Mm -hmm. not really a problem with it, but people will come to you proposing a problem that they could have with it if you'll allow them to. So you have to do the right amount of things, right? And you have to do the right amount of things just like a pirate and like ignore the advice. I would have lost more money had I listened more to those people. You know what I mean? Like I I do, do what you need to that's legal. And you Mm -hmm. know, especially with like pot now, they're still making it up. They're mm-hmm. trying to put laws around something that doesn't have an infrastructure yet.
0: Yeah, so, so I actually want to switch switch over to Eric now. So one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing from you, actually, like two things I want to hit really hard. There's got to just be someone for anything that says, I just want this thing to be. Yeah. I want this thing to exist. And once you do it, and suddenly other people are interested, do the things you need to do to get it into a legal space. But a lot of this stuff is just gumshoeing it along like, doing the road work getting out there like making it work mm-hmm. don't look down get it done until it it's got momentum yeah okay all right eric now you're in a different space so when you entered into the industry pot was already starting to like really pick up speed and it was becoming like starting to become a thing and you still got in when there was a window where it's still an emerging market but you know just like chris was saying tons of stuff is being figured out so what's your experience been like it's been a great experience. Okay.
1: I think um, sometimes you really need to take the time, even on bad days, to reflect why it's a good day. Right. Uh, so it, it has its challenges. It's been really challenging in the sense that you talk about the government and how they they get involved or don't get involved. And a lot of it is even in the last nine months, we've changed from the ACMPR licensing To the CTLS, which is a completely different way of tracking your licensing. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult because it's not just making a product. It has a lot to do with construction as well. Mm -hmm. So we're in the middle of a bunch of construction projects and making sure that we're building things to spec so that we, that way we can get it licensed. And in a couple of facilities, we're actually growing cannabis right now. And we've got 10, sorry, two of 12 rooms that are growing. And then we've got 10 that are under construction. And then we have to put amendments in to bring those new rooms onto the license. We need to make sure we do that properly. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if you've seen, if you pay attention very much to the industry, but Can CanTrust, um, they just got nailed for growing 5,000 kilos of dry flour in unlicensed rooms. Mm-hmm. And that may actually have something to do with the transition from the ACMPR to the CTLS system because mm-hmm. it wasn't really clear on how to bring new rooms onto the new platform and how approvals came through. You went from having a license, a hard copy license with all your rooms that were licensed on it to having everything electronically. So it was a lot more difficult to, to, to figure that out. So I don't know exactly what happened there and I can't comment, but it might not be CanTrust. It might just be a product of an evolving industry Mm -hmm. where things change so rapidly. That you're so stuck into your business, you may not be reading every press release, every little article that comes out Mm -hmm. and you miss something that could be, I mean, 5,000 kilos. Let's say it's on the low end. You're selling it for $4 a gram. What is it? 20,000? I think, sorry, $20 million. Mm.
0: Don't worry. If you got the math wrong, we'll edit that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) No, I think, I think it's right.
0: (laughs) Okay. And so what I'm hearing here is like, because again it's cool to contrast these two cuz you know Chris is a uh, sole proprietorship and has been real successful with what he's doing and you're working for a, a company that's establishing itself but the premise is still the same you're in this market that's just like suddenly the government and and other companies are like oh we can do this thing this is a thing and suddenly laws are existing or changing that weren't before and you got to be able to be really attention focused. You gotta be on all the details. But you gotta be super flexible. But it also sounds like you gotta be willing to just take a leap and do some stuff until it doesn't work. Well, especially now. So there
1: was a big change that came out about two or three months ago where is in the past you could apply for a license without having a facility built. Mm-hmm. Now you have to spend fifteen to fifty million mm-hmm. on a facility before you can even apply to a license. Mm-hmm. So think about that as an investor, like who's going to invest that kind of money with the hopes that you're going to apply for a license and get it. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's interesting because everyone's hearing about this lack of supply, lack of supply, lack of supply. And now I think the government has deterred more, um, more producers from coming online because i'm not going to invest that type of money because if you don't get the license that money's gone it's gone yeah. what else are you going to do with it it's a very specific industrial space it's not like you can go in there and turn it into a food processing plant for no cost it's like significant investment i mean like the hvac systems alone in these facilities are million to eight million bucks i was going
2: to ask is it lots of things about dust and air? oh like, yeah i mean air?
1: like it i would say they're probably more sanitary than an emergency room, or mm-hmm. like a, actually, sorry, an operating room. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really interesting. Which goes back. I'm going to jump a little bit mm-hmm. here, but Aram, you mentioned earlier how like cannabis doesn't cannabis alone has never really killed anybody, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because even like the the good growers that had no ill intent ten mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't, weren't controlling and testing their water. Mm-hmm. They probably weren't testing the soil. Mm-hmm. So they had every best intention to just grow a product, maybe even just smoke it themselves or mm-hmm. give it to their friends or there was no ill intent, mm-hmm. but there might have been metals in the tap water mm-hmm. that if you digested but through drinking, they didn't have any effect on you. But if all of a sudden you feed it to a plant, it comes out into the flat, in the flower and then you smoke it, inhale it into your lungs. That's a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're held to a standard where everything is controlled. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's almost more chemistry than agriculture. Mm-hmm. So we're um, neutralizing the water. So it's pure H2O. Mm-hmm. Um, we're putting the proper like salts and minerals into it that mm-hmm. all comply to health Canada regulations on top of it. We're not even growing in dirt. We're growing in ground up coconut um, shells. Mm-hmm. So it's called coca core. Mm-hmm. So like, it's such a clean process that now you've got like the purest, quality of flour you can have so people say well i can get it from my dealer for 10 cents a gram why would i pay 13 at the ontario cannabis store well even if your dealer is trying to do good by you he or she may not because
0: they're not regulated to the level that we are okay so i've got all sorts of questions about that for both of you that i'm real interested in but i do want to skip back to something that's a bit more personal about both of you there's a decision point so for eric It's about you switching from one industry to another. Chris, it's about you saying, oh, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to make this leap into my own, into my own company. So Eric, you had a secure job. You were doing good in it. Respected. You know, you had like career track, all that kind of stuff. This comes across your desk in an industry where a, you you weren't someone who predict anyways. And uh, and you mind if I share a little of your personal stuff, you know, you had a young family at the time. Um, and you still do. And the industry was still still is like quite stigmatized, right? What was the thinking where you were like, you know, I'm just going to do this. Tell me about that, that decision point. So there's a few things. Um, and you and I actually
1: talked about a lot of mm-hmm. them. Um, one of them was I didn't really feel like I had a career path where I was, mm-hmm. um, although I may have it. Didn't, it wasn't very clear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got bored. I, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. And the stigmatized part. I don't know how to put this without sounding like overly arrogant, but I actually don't care. Yeah. Um, I know why I'm involved. Like I mentioned to the, to the group before we started, I, other than a long weekend in Amsterdam, like 15 years ago, I've never touched cannabis. (laughs) I mean, I was, I was a mechanical engineer doing internships in Detroit and I got P tested every four to six months all through university. So when I got out, I was just having some drinks with my friends and I figured like, why, why do that? So I never developed the habit. So I'm not really passionate. Well, I don't want to say I'm not passionate about the product, but I'm passionate about the business Mm -hmm. because there's so much flexibility because there's so much challenge because you've got something here where it's a big problem you got to solve. And I think that's a big piece for me is like, And you don't know, you don't know what the answer is. And I mean, people ask about what's a mistake like, like, how do you view a mistake? Well, a lot of the decisions we're making now, we don't know if they're mistakes yet, Uh because in, in more, let's call it like older industries, I would say 99% of the problems have been seen Mm -hmm. and 99% of the solutions have been tried. Right. So. I think it's a little bit easier to see a mistake before you actually see the outcome of the mistake here. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know yet. We try, we, we learn as much as we can. We may be making decisions with only 50% of the information because that's all that's available right now. Mm -hmm. But you do that, you move forward, you see how it's affecting your business. Mm -hmm. If you feel good about it, great. It's a data point. If you don't like it, great. It's a data point and you Mm -hmm. move on. Yeah. I think that's kind of, you try to learn, it's almost like a rapid prototyping approach yeah. to everyday life.
0: So I want to want to capture this because I think it's important. Um, the first thing is like a little bit of a damn the torpedoes kind of attitude. Like, I don't care about the stigma. And I, I just want to reflect back to you. It doesn't sound arrogant. I, actually, when you said that, everyone in the room was like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, it takes a lot of guts to make a decision like that. But it sounds like for you, it wasn't even a guts decision. It was like, no, I'm just going to do this. But the other side that I find real compelling, it's that you're looking at all of this, all of these, you know, Hey, we have to make a decision with 50% of the information. Probably a lot of decisions we're making are going to be mistakes. Like all of that. There seems to be a piece of that that's actually appealing to you as a business person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know how to put, I'm just thinking right now. That's, That's a great point. It's, um, that's the exciting part, right? Like for me, it's boring. I think, and that's maybe why I left my last role was because I would wake up, I'd spend half an hour with my kids, Nanny would come up from downstairs, I'd go to my office, I'd rip out some emails, I'd go to a board meeting, I'd be in certain meetings, I'd go home, exercise, take a shower, go to bed, and repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the things I've been involved in now are negotiating land leases, mm-hmm. working on distribution agreements, employee issues, mm-hmm. acquisitions, mm-hmm. Uh, it just, I have an idea of what's going to happen tomorrow, but it could change. Like even this, even this podcast, mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to do it this morning. Something came up this morning and thank you all very much for being flexible and being mm-hmm. able to do this afternoon. And I think there's something that's really exciting about that. I think you need to take vacation a little bit more frequently because that <laughs> lifestyle can kind of, can kind of yeah. like kill you. And I'm going to Italy in mm-hmm. August. So I'm really excited about that because it's cool. necessary. But um yeah. So
0: there's a, there's a desire to create what will be like right now you're on the front line of actually creating what will eventually be standardized. And there's something that's like appealing to that for for you as a leader about that.
1: Yeah. Like even from an accounting standpoint, I mean, you look at all these different, um, pitch decks or investor decks Mm -hmm. for all these different cannabis companies and everybody looks at different metrics. How do you actually compare to these different companies? It's, it's, it's really difficult to nail that down. And I bet you in three to five years it'll all be standardized it'll grams per square foot grams like dollars per square foot of cost to get sold all this stuff it'll it'll come out but right now
0: the measuring stick isn't even there cool awesome all right chris um man same question to you because and again for for um people who are unfamiliar with this so uh you know chris has played in some pretty serious bands uh, within the subculture that we're involved in in the punk hardcore scene And a band that I've, I've been a fan of since I was young as well. And, um, I played uh, quite a bit of music in my life as well. And you got to make a choice at some point. Like, you know, if I'm going to try and do this, this music thing of it, it doesn't pay. And you got to figure out what else you're going to do. And, um, Chris, like I have a lot of respect for what you did. I think it was a real neat choice. And I know probably it felt a little bit intuitive. Like, well, yeah, I might as well just do this thing, but there's actually like, a huge amount of risk about what you did and the fact that you kept doing it so i want to like the thought process around that
2: well thank you yeah. and uh yeah i guess it's it is kind of my normal my default is to try things out whether or not they seem like they're logical or reasonable things to do yeah um i was working jobs all this time anyway to kind of facilitate living the life i want to live you know my wife i'm really lucky on this we're on the same page we don't have kids we chose not to do that we like taking road trips and we like old stuff we, we do the things we want the way we want yeah. and the trade-off is really like you have less safety net yeah. and i guess i approach this the same way mm-hmm. and i was working and i had to switch into doing this mm-hmm. and actually since then went back to just working jobs on the side to be able to do this the way i want to still do it yeah, without yeah. compromising it yeah. um yeah it's scary for sure yeah. i think you have to you have to have an idea of what, like you said, what you want to see that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Make something be there. You're not going to know what it feels like because it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. You make it happen. I, I don't know. It. Um, it's tough to say if it even is working. Like it's me, my wife, that helps me with every, every aspect of it. Um, and that's like we can't qualify it. Like your business, you have probably people, you have a structure.
1: You just said something. We can't define if it's working. I think like what's the definition of working? Because I, it sounds like. This is a whole other, like, tangent, um, but, like, happiness is a big thing for me in life. Right. And, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty happy with, um, it sounds like you're pretty happy about it. So, it, like, to me, an outsider looking in that doesn't know all the details, it, se- it seems like, to a certain extent, it is working.
2: I'm happy with myself for who I am and the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really line up with the way that the industry has become. Okay. Because
0: right? hey, I want to I start getting into this piece, but I'm going to ask you one more question about this. So, a lot of what for, that Eric finds like kind of like interesting about the job is figuring out all of these different things, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, here's a problem that like I would never have experienced before because previously it'd been an industry where a lot of the problems have been experienced, they've been diagnosed, and there's been solutions pitched. This is different and he has to figure it all out. It sounds like based on what we were talking about earlier, that hasn't been such a fun part for you.
2: No, there's been some things that have been, you know, really stressful. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the middle of a factory. When I stepped up from uh, with the oil, which I now like I started using a copac or like a factory that makes it and the same I mean there's just kind of science things that are it's funny. People assume that something is millions of dollars of a setup, but you're gonna still have the same problems as you would if you were just making it in your basement. You know what I mean or on Mike's kitchen stove, um, I had stuff where I have solids in the middle of this coconut oil, TVP, um, some spices and some things that are solid. So the oil melts and all the solids they either you know they're gonna burn to the bottom. Or when you're in a big million dollar kettle in a factory floor, they're going to go through pipes to go to a hopper and fill an assembly line worth of jars. And they're just like, don't worry about it, kid. We're a million dollar factory. It'll push the button. Grinding to a halt like a million dollar machine because all the solids still just sink to the bottom and they jam up. The, they have to take apart with these crazy wrenches. Like, whole thing grinds to a halt and everyone's pointing at me about, it. <laughs> Well, your coconut oil did like, no, okay. You got to, I think it's important to know that people that are going to tell you that they know, like the industry, I'm sure it's a thing with you as well. They don't know any better than you do. You know what you're doing and you know what it's about. All right. People get paid to make problems for you. Mm. And to some extent, I guess, you know, things that are realistic, I'm not trying to be that much of a jerk about it. Like I like to abide when people are asking a question, if it's real, allergens, things ingredients and where they come from those are things i would want to know and they the things i want to tell people but beyond that there's a layer of there's a layer of kind of problems that are just slow you down yeah. and it's happening while other big money comes in yeah. to replace what you're doing and get in on that
0: right okay and that's where we're going to head and i just want to just hit this last that's where pit, it gets though. juicy yeah because <laughs> okay. we're this is like a real interesting thing because it's different experiences i want to talk about uh, but one more thing around that uh, chris so when eric was talking about like it's cool to be confronted with these problems and have to figure it out. He's talking about he joined a company that existed and he's a part of the company. He cares it. He cares about it. But at the end of the day, it's a company. Right. Where yours is your product. It's you me. made it. It's <laughs> you. So I'm interested in the difference here because for you, Eric, you're like, ah, the problems are really like almost intoxicating. It's interesting to work with them. Where on your side, if it's something to do with like the health of the product or the allergens, yes, you want to talk about it. But if it's, you know, again, slowing down that million dollar factory, grinding to a halt, it's not like, wow, that's a really interesting problem. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So tell me about that from your perspective. I
2: got I got some kind of like decision fatigue after a while running yeah. a business. we yeah. just having to deal with a lot of things, you know, f- five or six things per hour that are pretty consequential when they all just go through me in this case. Um, yeah, it gets to be really it gets hard. Yeah. Um, that was really stressful. I am not great at handling stress. Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I knew the answer. I don't, I mean, it, they figured it out. They hated it. It mm-hmm. wasn't on me. I made it really clear what I, you know, specified it and how it would work. And eventually you find a way, mm-hmm. right? Like it, you adjust what you have to and you make mm-hmm. it work.
0: But the finding a way isn't as joyful when it's all you and it's your
2: thing. It, it's challenging and it's fun because it's a real problem right now. Right. Like we're on a factory floor. That won't go through there. We end up having to make it in humongous cheesecloth, like big, like teabag the spices and suspend them and stop this like spinning kettle. Things like that. You're just like, okay, uh, MacGyver brain, you know, yeah. like, well, I guess we'd have to. I don't know. It's Occam's razor. Like, what should work here? Mm-hmm. All right. Try it, and it works. That's been, that was the fun part, to be honest.
0: Okay, that so the, the figuring it out was the fun part, but yeah. dealing with the problem was not.
2: Figuring it out was fun. Uh, mad science was really fun. Making it a reality was fun, but then the, the business end of it mm-hmm. is what I do not like.
0: Okay, and I, the reason I'm hammering down on this so much is I, I want to make sure that people who are listening can really understand, like... The different experiences that someone could have if it's like their company versus being part of a company eric do you want to add something in
1: yeah i've been itching to add something mm-hmm. in and almost like when i ended my last comments one of the things i was going to jump in and say is like even when prior to this cannabis role coming up we were talking about me moving on to something new mm-hmm. and it was really hard for me to, um, like nail it down because I kind of wanted to drop search on good, good people and cool things to do. Mm. Because for me, the industry is less important. It's more like the challenges within that industry. I mean, like I worked for a technology company. I worked for the automotive industry. I worked for a property management company and I work for a cannabis company. Like those are like four industries that are so different. And I think that's why when I was listening to you speak, I get how it could be frustrating for you because it's such, it's your baby. Like, for me, the problem is my baby. Yes. And that's, like, what gets exciting. And I think it goes back to, like, even just the way I grew up. Like, I'm an engineer. I like the problem-solving thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's, like, really interesting for me. Mm -hmm. I get annoyed, too, when, like, the pressure is getting ramped up and I'm getting yelled at by people because things aren't happening when they need to. But I'm learning how to deal with that. So that really helps. And it goes back to, like, mental resilience and stuff that Aram, you and I have talked about in the past as well, how important it is. Because, like, I believe that. If you get the right people together the solutions find themselves mm-hmm. i mean if you're open-minded if you can create a, an environment where people feel comfortable to talk about what's on their mind you can usually find a pretty good solution to most problems mm-hmm. i think being able to like hang in there and when all these things are changing around you and you're getting hit left and right and you just don't know where the next body shot's coming from it kind of reminds me of that quote from rocky when he talks about like life isn't about how hard you hit Mm -hmm. it talks about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward Mm -hmm. and i think like these emerging industries are very similar to that Mm -hmm. i I feel like you just got to be able to get in the ring every day Mm -hmm. take a couple blows realize that the forward progress you made is actually more impactful than like the feeling you may have had when things weren't going right Mm -hmm. and uh i think that like keeping that in the forefront of your mind
0: is really important well that's that's real interesting because um it's a lot different than other jobs or other industries. When it's an emerging industry, yeah, you're going to suffer, but that suffering actually makes a real difference because you've made something now that did not exist before. You moved the ball forward. Where in a lot of other jobs or other industries, there's limited opportunities to do that. So there's suffering, but there's like real outcome. Well, and I, so I have a bunch of friends that I
2: did
1: my MBA with, and I'm fortunate enough to like be in touch with them still. And they work at big banks, they work at big consumer packaged goods companies. My wife works for a big insurance company and has done that for a long time. And I think about their day to day and that makes me feel worse than my worst day in my job. And it's just because we're different types of people. Not that there's anything wrong, but just for my appetite for what gets me going, what gets me excited, Mm -hmm. doing that same thing every day, Mm -hmm. um, either on the trading desk at like a big bank or in an insurance company or in being a project manager, like all great jobs. Just for me, I would just struggle with the the repetition of doing the same thing over and over again.
0: And that's why I love what I do. Okay. So now we're gonna to go to the real the real tough one because you have different experiences. Chris, you started a thing before there was a thing. You started a thing before there was an industry around it. Eric, you joined an industry that was coming around something that was pre-existing on a very small level. And something I found interesting when you were talking about um, you know, people might not have been filtering their water and not have been uh looking at their soil. If someone was part of the pot industry pre legalization, they would probably be knocking on this door right now, being like, "How dare he?" <laughs> because when I was a- an addictions counselor, I ended up like um, learning a lot about like how pot was grown, all the all these things, and there was this whole like artistry around how independent growers back in the day, before all legalization, were developing and a huge science base that totally existed. And so I can imagine someone who'd been in that space would almost be like Chris, how you were with your company. And then all of these organizations came in. And so I want to just identify that parallel because it's going to be an interesting conversation. So I'm going to switch over to Chris. So I want to get into this, you know, this difference of experience that we've had. Chris, I want to talk about when you started uh, your company. As I said earlier, there was no business infrastructure around it. There wasn't this huge Swell of vegan products and as a vegan heck yeah I love that I can walk down the street and go to like five different places that have not just vegan offerings But I can go to the grocery store. I can go to the ice cream place. It's cool. It's totally cool. I love it But being someone who was on the forefront of the forefront of doing this So like you were doing it when very few people were doing it. How do you feel about the industry? That's grown up around it?
2: It's very difficult to be around to be in the middle of that and try to be positive at the parts of it that I'm really happy with. And the parts of it I'm happy with are the fact that that's what people want and the world of consumers are like average people that aren't like punks and hippies. And I mean, it's almost to the point you wouldn't know it, but this was only carried by subculture all the time, you know, between then and now. Mm -hmm. And if it went back to that tomorrow, it would be the same. Um, It's hard to separate that from my cynicism about big industry because one thing I've learned... In doing all this, as big business isn't any particular business; it's like an entitlement to all the business, to whatever whatever way the wind blows, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's about something ethical and something very specific. And if that's still attached um, to the things you're fighting, which it is a hundred percent, then you're not there. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't know. A lot of people look at it like it's uh, congratulations, veganism. We can go to Tim Hortons and McDonald's and that, and like congratulations, meat industry because. Vegans are going back to McDonald's Mm -hmm. and they don't have to change the other thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really been hard. And I'm trying to stifle that voice because I always am encouraging it would be a cross purposes not to be stoked that this is what people want. But it's uh, the reality that, I don't know, there's always industry. They are ready to just adapt forever just by default without asking whether it's hypocritical, whether it makes sense or not. They will be like, yeah, we'll take that if it hits a certain point. And it's been the same with Eric's business, too.
0: Yeah, and because I mean, uh, well, we'll get to you in a second because uh, I want to <laughs> I want to stay on this because it's an important point. So front runners in an emerging market, people who are out there, this is not uncommon to be like, I just created this thing. Whoa, people care about the thing. This feels great. But then, boom, over time, suddenly there's a market, and the originators can get pushed out. They can get bought out. They can get forced out, or they could find themselves on the other side of something they helped create. But look at it and say. That doesn't reflect the values that I had when I started this and that I still have today. And it sounds like there's a bit of that that for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's been the toughest part of it, of being someone who's, you were literally a part of creating this over time and and whether or not you feel comfortable with me saying that I can say, I remember when I first got your product and was like, this is wild. This exists to now being like, oh yeah, like there's that thing. And there's like a other yeah,
2: seven layer bean burrito somewhere and yeah. like, vegan everything.
0: What's been the, what's been the toughest part about it for you?
2: Mm. About coming to terms with, with, uh, with, the, the with normali- how the
0: yeah, how the industry the normalization. Yeah, yeah. how you said it how it is the
2: normalization yeah. of it. It's by default. I yeah. look I mean any any store, any like you mean know, a pizza pizza, like just the most standard places. Yeah. Um I think this is something you hit on earlier. Uh I don't want to glorify how hard it was in the nineties or any other time, but definitely like the more you have to go out of your way, and again I think this applies to both of us as well. The further you have to go out of your way for something, the more internalized it is to you. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point where this, this whole thing, I mean, it already seems like it's, there's a, there's a backlash, there's a cynicism. Uh, I would hate to see it go. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. I want to see it make a new set of standards. Like, I think that we, were, this is some form of the world we were always, uh, of, What we were always petitioning the world for a reality for yeah but we didn't ever really account for what happens like how that really works out logistically economically and that unfortunately isn't some kind of like anarchist punk kids dream it's just like another thing that's from mcdonald's and there's always a moment that's really scary so you should embrace the moment that's scary because that's usually the moment where something is on the line and something's like ruffling you know what i mean and changing and and you'll know because it gets like a little threatening but nobody knows what they're threatening mm. uh, and then what you really have to be careful for if you're looking at it ethically is like what it settles on and who you're saying well thank you and that's good because I feel like a lot of them I mean there's to help I explain to Eric milk and dairy companies own most of the almond milk and you know nut milks things like Maple Leaf meats own you know like the, the some of the biggest fake meats it's just become like that and there's nobody stopping it so this is where i gotta be like i i don't really care i could have just eaten an apple you know this is great to have choices but i want a world that's different Mm. and now we're at the point where like there's no pressure on those people if mcdonald's or whatever has probably the best example can just like sit on their marketing campaign and for 20 months and then come out with something and bend reality around so that they're not the like 160 billion hamburgers people on a sign for decades and decades and they're not stopping those things right yeah. so that's really hard i think that it's it's tough i don't want to, this is where i mean i don't want to be cynical you could burn yourself up and you could burn yourself out about it but i just i insist on looking at it the same way whatever comes at me yeah. if that like takes a chunk out of me which it does like i choose i could take this a lot further if i wanted to play the game the way it's laid out yeah. and i have no interest in that yeah
0: and I, I want to come back to something you'd said about, well, now you you choose to work so that you can do the company the way you want. And we'll, ta- we'll talk about that in a sec. But the, the thing that I want to capture there is someone who's on the forefront of the forefront, creating something that was just not there and then helping create this change and not necessarily liking the change. I loved what you said. It's like, finally, we've got the thing that we've been asking the world for and it's created alternatives, but those alternatives haven't caused the legacy issues.
2: The real change
0: to change yeah. there's just an alternative now it hasn't created the the well, level of change that I was hoping for
2: it's oligopoly right yeah, like yeah, it's both they have both sides right
0: okay and very, you
2: can do very little about it
0: right okay I'm going to pause there I want to go over to Eric because Eric now you're on the other side of the equation man so we had all of these you know we had people who are independent pot growers doing it illegal illegally some people had uh, government licensing to, to do it for medical reasons but we're talking about the mom-and-pop uh, you know uh, pot growers, the people who are going to jail, all of that. But there are also people who are like real artists about it and people who really loved it. They loved the science behind it. And then boom, you know, it's like, yeah, it's legal. Everyone's, everyone's freaking out. It's legal. But then the companies come in and the companies and the investors who wouldn't have touched that with a 10 foot pole before are now like, oh, there's a dollar to be made here. And now they're investing. And I'm not speculating on the rightness of the wrongness of it but you're now on that side of it you're on that end of it so what are your thoughts based on this so i love hearing
1: chris's perspective mm-hmm. and the reason is is cuz cause it's caused me to like reassess me in the in like this industry or in your industry like the the vegan industry version of me whoever mm-hmm. that may be mm-hmm. because yeah i can see like there's so you brought something to the world or to the market and now the market's accepted it and it's almost accepted it more then you probably like wanted it to accept it. And to do that, it's like, okay, how do we, instead of being able to, I don't know how you measure volume of your product, but instead of creating one liter of grease an hour, that's not going to be enough to take care of 10% of the North American market. We need to do 10,000 liters an hour. So to do that, we have to compromise on all these things that make your product a craft product, quote unquote, let's say. So I think it's going to be interesting um, how it evolves. And I think similar things are going to happen in cannabis. We see it in cars. We see it in probably every industry. Uh, look at our computers. I mean, you could spend $2,000 to get a MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. And those are for like a very specific user that's probably very passionate about what you would do with that computer. And then you've got like a $300 Acer laptop that is just to to do processing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see the same thing in cannabis. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have a lot of growers that are going to produce at a very low grams per square foot. Quality might not be the same. It might just get you pretty messed up pretty quickly. Um, And then you're going to have craft growers that are probably going to be doing like micro-grows, maybe um, using very specific soil. Those artists that you talk about, Aram. um, And there's going to be different terpene profiles. There's going to be different flavors. There's going to be um, different types of highs, all these things Mm -hmm. that may cost more, but it's going to be for a smaller market. And I think when I think about... Someone that's on the forefront of an emerging industry like yourself, Chris, I think, I think, man, it's important to make sure you choose your partners properly and make sure that I don't even know if you could, um, like, how do you find out, how do you sit down with those individuals and really communicate to them that there's a soul to the product and we want to make sure the soul isn't compromised. Mm -hmm. And it's more about maintaining that soul than reaching Australia with the product. Like, I think that's when I think about it, that that's what really, what I really thought about. And I thought like, man, to the wrong person, like I could be a huge jerk well, <laughs> <laughs> like because, and not for any other reason than just us valuing different things potentially. And my, my definition of success could be different than your definition of success. And I could be driving towards something that I think we're both excited about when really I've missed the point altogether.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I think that's really, that. That was what was going on through my head. Yeah. So
0: Eric, that was really cool that you went there because this is one of the things that I'm really interested about, about being a leader in an emerging market. Because there's, there's two things that stand out for me. If you're the individual who starts a business that's on the forefront of the forefront and creating it, there's got to be a moment where you have to decide Am I okay with this becoming what it's become like this whole industry? And I'm can I stay in it? Can I, can I do this and not get better, not get cynical, not get swallowed up by those things on the flip side, if you're someone who's a leader in an emerging market, but you weren't like an, an initiator, you're someone who like joined it as the market started to get momentum. It sounds like there's a real importance of recognizing the contributions of the people who are at the forefront beforehand and trying to like do some honor, do some justice to what they were about from the beginning. What do you two think about what I just said? You know, I
1: think a couple things because I think about the people that are working in our facilities mm-hmm. and they're all very passionate about the product. Mm-hmm. So I think finding that balance of giving them or empowering them to do what they think is right within a framework that fits the organization, um, that has a lot to do with fit cultural fit. Um, whether it's a industry that's been around for hundreds of years or a a budding industry, I think there's a cultural fit either way. Mm -hmm. We keep referring back to, um, like emerging industries, but I think it's more about passion. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I was working in engineering, there were engineers that were really passionate about doing something a certain way in an industry that's been around for over a hundred years. So I think sometimes learning how to deal with that passion is really important and learning how to keep uh, your team motivated, um, while motivated and kind of compromise with them so that organizationally we can get to where we need to go, but they're also staying engaged and being able to keep that passion going. I think that that's an important thing, whether it's an emerging market or whether it's a market that's been around for years, I think, managing passion is, is important so maybe chris you i can like when you said
2: budding industry I was <laughs> hey. go with, hey. okay can you repeat the question
0: yeah so um there's two sides of it i'm interested in your thoughts on both sides so someone who is an initiator who like creates a market essentially at some point that market's probably going to become a version of it that you don't feel connected to anymore that you think like gosh like yes conceptually i like this but man i, I don't feel good about this so there sounds like there has to be a decision point. Do I stay in?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do I keep doing this? And can I do that without becoming cynical, you know, becoming angry, becoming pessimistic? And then on the flip side, I'm real interested in what advice you could give to people who join a market later. So that it's still, the market's still emerging, but someone like, someone like Eric who's joined a market as it's gained momentum, he wasn't right. one of the initial initiators, but he's definitely leading an emerging market, but after it's already taken off. So both sides of that.
2: Uh, I'm probably a pretty bad example because I didn't try to join it or make it as a market, Mm -hmm. you know, like in context that this is really just that thing, Mm -hmm. one, like I'm a product. Um, and then since then it became a few others. I make like a pumpkin seed parm, a few Mm -hmm. different things. Um, you may not end up, the thing that you think you're starting isn't always the one that works the best either. Right. Mm -hmm. I think if you just keep your ideas moving and moving, then that's kind of the more important part. Yeah. Um, because the thing that you think you started, on might not be the one that carries you through in the end, right. things taper off and then other things pick up where you wouldn't expect it. And you only know cause you're trying and you just kind of keep making whatever risks and decisions and seeing how it plays out. Um, I've kind of chosen not, like I said, I, I, I could do a lot better with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I choose not to look at, at the market that much. I choose not to do that much math because I wouldn't do anything different if I knew, mm-hmm differently about it like i started it really from my kitchen stove i made 24 of something i made you know twice as many from that and i worked it up out of you know like 400 dollars worth of stuff to to what it is right mm-hmm. um so you're making like ten thousand dollar runs in a factory mm-hmm. so i don't if, if it was all gone i think you have to be a little bit zen about whichever way it goes if you're going to be happy mm-hmm. uh, i haven't been the best example of being making a good decision about whether to stay and whether to call it um because i don't want to be competitive in the way that people are. I can't change the where it's at. And I wouldn't want to change where it's at vegan wise, but the business stuff I just try to like oblige it where I have to and then try to keep my eye on what I like about it, Mm -hmm. which is like interacting with people and animal welfare and Mm -hmm. animal advocacy, right? Mm -hmm.
0: So where are you today? You'd mentioned earlier that you're you've gone back to to working a day job while doing the business Mm -hmm. um with your wife on the side. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. Bianca, my wife helps me do a lot of things. Like we're still all aspects of it are still really just going through me. Mm -hmm. Um, like the one thing is made in the the oil uh, vegan magic proper is made in a factory. Parmageddon, which is the the parm we make, is by hand in a mm-hmm. like commercial kitchen. And it's funny because I it, people see and it 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 gives off the idea that it's very far and wide or a big. I mean, it's a corporation. It's true. Mm-hmm. I'm a CEO, sure. Mm-hmm. Cause somebody has to be that on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just just doing everything like as if you know, the, as if it was the '90s all over again.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've chosen, but to stay you're in the industry, but you don't, you don't want to get immersed into like how to be competitive. You just want to do what you want to do. Right. And so to do that, you've decided I'm going to take a job. I'm going to take this. I'm going to work on the side
2: mm-hmm.
0: or I'm going to work. And then I'm going to do this on the side because it allows you to do it within the same spirit that you started it with.
2: Right. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm going to make this like, it's not a job. Like it's something mm-hmm. self standing mm-hmm. to the side that do what I need to, to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to change the way I do it. I've chosen not to take on a lot of things came out really quickly about shark tanky things. And I like, I don't care. This matters only relative to your values yeah. and to be impressed by the attentions of people like that mm-hmm. in which money just goes towards other money.
0: Um, I, I, I think we all started laughing when you called it Parmageddon. Because oh, like, sorry. <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> that's like, a great name. I didn't know you had something called Parmageddon. No, I do. And I,
2: I sneak crass lyrics under labels like really, really slyly. Shut
0: up. That's that's un, that's unreal. Okay, yeah. so I want to go to the advice part. So we're looking at, and not necessarily Eric, but people who are now joining emerging industries and they're leading them, but they weren't initiators; they didn't start them. But they're they've entered something that has momentum. So now they're doing things on a big scale, and they are part of the market. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you have for them?
2: Um, I, I guess I'd say if you have a vision and you're making something, and this is where my advice is very specific to my story. Mm-hmm. And I can only speak for like making a, a thing up, you know, like a product. If if that's your case and you're you're on the creative end of it, ignore ignore reality, kind of, you mm-hmm. know, like ignore what seems sensible, in favor of what you just want, just like hard nose towards the thing you want, mm-hmm. and you're gonna have to adjust your ideas of your expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I go like that, like kind of a suicide bomber about it from the start. So I kind of can't really lose. Yeah. If I had to burn it down tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, that was that. I did it. I know I did it. Um, I think you have to be happy and you, you have to enjoy it. I, I'm a, I'm t- calling myself out here because I'm not sure. It's been a while. It's been more stress. Like when I finally looked down, it sort of, you know, kind of punches you in the face a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, you know, I got pretty burned out and now, I, I were I just do the work perpetually you know mm-hmm. behind the scenes I don't like your personality has to be kind of used mm-hmm. and that's 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 a thing people like a story mm-hmm. and the story is just the real story right mm-hmm. I was at a lot of things from distributors and dinners where people were like we love this crazy attitude like it's not this is just the story mm-hmm. <laughs> take it or leave it mm-hmm. it could be you it could be a millionaire It could be like someone I'm telling you asking me on the street it's the same story mm-hmm. um, you have to be yourself through it if it's something that reflects who you are Okay. And you have to be happy doing it. And then you have to make a call if you're not anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I personally don't have like a low bar where I'm like, I, I don't, I don't never lost money doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it only, it really pays for itself and some more mm-hmm. and it accumulates, you know, and you make different choices around that. Mm-hmm. If There's not a lot of security still. I do mm-hmm. it the same way I approach bands. Like, I'll do this as long as I want okay. to, as long okay. as it feels like something.
0: Awesome. All right, Eric, I got two questions for you and they're going to be tough ones. Go. All right. Oh, wow. Very, very confident. I like that. All right. Um, So the first question is, uh, what's your advice for people that you would consider to be peers? So people who have joined a market that they weren't the initiators, but it's now gained momentum. And we've got leaders like maybe young leaders or leaders that are transitioning from other industries who are like, I want to be a part of that. What advice do you have for them?
1: When you get involved, do a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of listening,
0: more listening
1: than bold comments. I think Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes we get into roles and you just want to come in with the answers. But if I think you really got to listen, I think spend the first month, 60 days listening and just thinking. And even when you have a comment, I would try to phrase it around asking questions Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you can make points by asking questions and they come out. A lot better, and for the the founders of an industry, I think they're more open to um, answering questions that lead to points than having like the quote unquote suit come in and say, Oh why don't you do this? Mm-hmm. I think that can uh, that can kind of stifle someone's jump into an industry and also be flexible and um, just come in with an open mind. They're not all going to be awesome days there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of tough ones, and at the end of those tough ones, maybe take some time and think about why they were actually the best days.
0: Okay. Uh, so final question for you, and then uh, I'm going to wrap this up. So what advice do you have for someone who is an initiator, someone who has started something and that thing sparked a real change and now an industry has grown up around them? Do you have any advice for someone like that? Yeah, I think um, it goes back to a point I made earlier. Um,
1: think about what you want out of this. Um, and then stay true to it. I think Chris is doing a great job of that. I mean, like really understanding what you want, because happiness isn't defined by a number in your bank account. It's not defined by the car you drive. Um, I think it's defined by like achieving the goals that you aspire to in your life. And that may be having a craft brewery or, um, hand building cars, or it could be just setting up a life where you can pick your kids up from school every day. And I think that's really important. And some some founders want to take it from one employee to a million employees and be building a billion-dollar corporation. But there's a lot of sacrifices that come along with that. Um, And I think just understanding what happiness is for you Mm -hmm. and
0: making sure you stay true to that. Okay. So as we're uh, closing off, Chris, any final comments?
2: Uh, Just thank you. This is great. This made me have to think a lot about it. And I'm like a million days deep in just the life. I don't even realize I'm doing it anymore so this was nice because it made me have to ask myself all these questions where things are at so thanks for having me and thank you Eric. that was really illuminating to know (laughs) I've been curious about a lot of things about the pot, even like like um, I don't smoke I did in high school a little bit I'm just no good with moderation so I had (laughs) to not but I can see how much good it does people medicinally and even in terms of mental health compared to pharmaceuticals so I hope you have luck sorting out all your problems (laughs) appreciate it
0: Eric anything you want to end on
1: no, this has been great. I, uh, I really appreciate everybody's open mind and the great
0: questions and uh, the open conversation. Right so. on. All right. So, um, this was a cool conversation. Um, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would I be sitting across a table, uh, talking about vegan baking grease and the, the booming pot industry? The answer would have been no, absolutely not. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in doing things like taking a leap, taking a risk and bring water to the desert. My entire career, and not even my career that I would do in, in the sense that would uh, normally be considered a career, but like playing music, putting out records, uh, building community, bringing groups of friends together, it's all just been based on, hey, I want to do this thing, and I'm just going to do it. And sometimes I suffered, and sometimes I, I reap the benefits of it. But I tell you that the idea here is nothing is accomplished unless there's the grit and willingness to just do it. So if you've got an idea... If you believe in something, if you're passionate about it, no more sitting on the sidelines. It's time to get involved and make it happen. Dave, drop the beat. That was an incredible conversation. Huge thank you to Chris and Eric for their time. One of the real standouts for me about this episode was the interplay between Chris and Eric. And someone who had been an initiator when an industry was very small to a business person, a really experienced business person who came into an industry as it was emerging. That interplay was really fascinating. What I love so much about conversations like this is taking things to a new space, really testing the idea of what the limits can be and constantly proving those limits wrong. There's a lot of good takeaways in this episode. Not just for people who are starting businesses or trying to lead an emerging industry, but really for anyone who's out there doing something they believe in and trying to figure out the path forward. So I hope you got as much out of it as I did. One thing I'd ask for any listener, not just for this episode, but for any of the others, keep in mind, this show is called One Step Beyond, and that's something that I'm hoping you're looking at your life and taking it to that furthest limit.